Hello, my name is Andrew Laposha, and welcome to the Twilight Years. This is our first two-person episode, and we will be discussing the death and final years of comedy team George Burns and Gracie Allen. George Burns and Gracie Allen first met in 1922, forming a comedy act called Burns and Allen. Initially, Gracie played the role of the straight person, and George did everything for laughs. But eventually, audiences found themselves laughing at Gracie more, so they switched the roles. They were married in 1926, and for the next three decades, they dominated vaudeville, film, radio, and television. They became one of the most successful and popular comedy acts of all time. Burns and Allen were so successful that people were actually advocating for Gracie to run for president in 1940. The duo were hilarious, and today their material still holds up. Gracie had her first health scare in the early 50s. She and George were traveling on a train with George in the top bunk of their sleeping car and Gracie on the bottom. She complained of chest pains. Gracie had never been one to admit something was wrong, but George grew concerned because her mother had died of a bad heart. George held Gracie, assuring her things would be alright. When the couple got back to California, Gracie immediately went to see their doctor, who revealed she had a minor heart attack. She seemed fine, though, and she didn't want anyone making a big deal out of it, so they never told anyone. Gracie went right back to work, almost like nothing happened. Over the next several years, Gracie would have several minor attacks, similar to what today is known as angina. Her heart condition didn't seem that serious. A doctor gave her nitroglycerin pills, which she would take whenever she had an attack. And they worked. They figured that as long as they had a good supply of pills, they wouldn't have to worry about anything. Around 1954, Gracie began thinking about retiring from show business. Whenever CBS would renew their show for another season, Gracie would become distressed. This happened every year for the next four seasons, and George later admitted he never really knew how much Gracie wanted to retire. During the filming for the 1957-58 season, George noticed that something seemed off about Gracie's performance. She would take longer pauses in between lines and take slightly longer breaks in between takes. One Sunday night, Gracie told George she was ready to retire. On February 16, 1958, George called close friends and relatives to say that Gracie would publicly announce her retirement the next day. The next morning, they let their friend Luella Parsons make the announcement in her column. Gracie was quoted as saying, At first, I'm going to sleep for six months. I'm going to invite people into dinner and visit my grandchildren. And I'm going to clean out my bureau drawers. After the column went to press, reporters began calling. George told one reporter she had to do it. Those bureau drawers were really getting messy. The phone didn't stop ringing for weeks. Gracie was overwhelmed by all the attention she was getting. She genuinely didn't expect it. During the last season of their show, they finally got to do an episode they wanted to do ever since their radio days. Gracie getting hypnotized into being a genius. Their last show was filmed on June 4th, 1958. It was the last time George and Gracie ever worked together. George wasn't too upset, though, because he thought Gracie would come out of retirement within a year. The last taping was no different than any other taping. They didn't even really mention it was the last show. But after the final scene was filmed, there was a lot of emotion on the set. Gracie was given a standing ovation and a bottle of champagne was popped. She never drank, but she took a sip just to be polite. Gracie then said thank you and left the set. She never looked back. In her retirement, Gracie's favorite activities included shopping and going to the theater. 
She also loved gambling, though she was never particularly good at it. For her, it wasn't about winning, but rather about playing. When the Hollywood Park racetrack was built, she bought her own box so she could watch the horse races. She also loved blackjack and would go to Vegas sometimes and play. However, in 1961, she suffered a more serious heart attack. After that, she was never able to go out as much, which greatly hurt her. After Gracie's retirement, George kept active. He tried to have his own solo TV program, but without Gracie, it wasn't the same. He also used a lot of the same cast, which didn't help. It only lasted one season. With George's attempted failure at solo television past him, he started playing concerts, including Las Vegas. With these concerts, he helped jumpstart the career of his opening act, a young singer named Bobby Darren. Opening at Harrah's in Lake Tahoe in June 1959, Gracie was sitting in the front row. George introduced her, and the audience gave her a standing ovation. After the show, George asked Gracie what she thought. She commented that she liked Bobby Darren. She felt George didn't sound sincere enough, almost like he was reciting his monologue. As time went on, Gracie felt that George needed a partner for his act. They knew no one could replace Gracie, but George looked for someone with talent and good comedic skills. Eventually, he found Carol Channing, who was already a big star on Broadway. Channing agreed to work with George, and Gracie coached her on the art of the two-act. When George and Carol Channing went on for the first time at Lake Tahoe, they did well and decided to take the act on tour. But it was never the same. On the night of August 27, 1964, George came home from working on his new series, Wendy and Me, which would co-star Connie Stevens and was set to air in the next few weeks. After George and Gracie had dinner, they watched TV. The Democratic National Convention was taking place and a tribute to John F. Kennedy was being shown, which made Gracie cry. George then turned off the TV to go work on a script. A short time later, the TV turned back on. George yelled to Gracie to get some rest, but she wanted to finish the Spencer Tracy movie that was on. Not too long after that, Gracie called out to George. She was having trouble breathing and began sweating profusely. As was routine, George gave Gracie her pills, but it didn't work. He gave her another, but the pains worsened. George then called her doctor, who listened to her heart, then said to get her to the hospital. The ambulance arrived around 10 p.m. When the attendants put her on the stretcher, she apologized for being wet. With George sitting in the front seat, the ambulance traveled to Lebanon Hospital with oxygen being administered. When the ambulance arrived, Gracie was taken upstairs. At 11.15 p.m., the doctor went to George, who was sitting in the waiting room. Looking at the doctor's face, George could tell that Gracie was no longer alive. The doctor allowed George to go see her. When he saw the body, George leaned down and kissed her on the lips, then walked out of the room. There has always been some debate as to how old Gracie was at the time of her death. She was always evasive about the year she was born, but sometimes would say she was born in 1906. George himself said he never knew, nor did he ever bother to ask. Her birth certificate had been destroyed in the 1906 California earthquake. Her family had been forced to guess her birth date for her death certificate and grave, settling on 1902. However, eventually the 1905 and 1910 censuses became public and they listed Gracie's age as 4 and 13 respectively, meaning she was born in 1895 and 69 years old when she died. When Gracie died, George's best friend Jack Benny was performing at Lake Tahoe but left immediately to stay with George. The next day, people came over to George's house, though he stayed upstairs. When he eventually came downstairs, he wasn't wearing his toupee, leaving some guests to not recognize him. The funeral took place on August 31st at Forest Lawn Glendale at All Saints Episcopal Church. 
Gracie had always been a devout Catholic, but because Forest Lawn wasn't a Catholic cemetery, George offered an Episcopal service as a substitute. Jack Benny and George Jessel both gave eulogies. Both men also served as pallbearers, as did Edward G. Robinson and Bobby Darren. When Gracie was interred in her crypt, George struggled to leave. Eventually, Jack and George's son Ronnie had to help him to leave. Meanwhile, George would pay weekly visits to Gracie's grave, frequently going for the rest of his life. George continued to work, resuming production on Wendy and Me the day after Gracie's funeral. Sadly, Wendy and Me only lasted one season. George had trouble sleeping. Because of Gracie's heart condition, they slept in twin beds. One night, George slept in Gracie's bed, which helped him to sleep better. For the next decade, George continued making appearances, but it wasn't the same. At a taping of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson in July 1974, he had trouble finding the right words while telling a story. Unbeknownst to everyone, he was having fainting spells. On August 8th, he was watching a concert with Ronnie when he had chest pains. The next day, triple bypass surgery was performed. At 78 years old, it was reported that George was the oldest person to ever have that kind of operation. While George was recovering from the operation, a movie based on a Neil Simon play began production. It was called The Sunshine Boys. It told the story of an elderly retired comedy team who had bad blood between them and had not spoken for years. They then reunite for a TV special. Walter Matthau was cast in one of the two roles and Jack Benny was cast in the other. However, Jack suddenly became ill. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which he died from on December 26, 1974. George was upset. He attempted to give a eulogy at Jack's funeral, but couldn't finish it. The past decade had been terrible for him, and he didn't know if he could ever work again or even live much longer. But Jack's manager, Irving Fine, had other plans. When Jack got sick and knew that he would not be able to do the movie, Fine called the film's director, Herbert Ross, and told him to consider George for Jack's role. George didn't want to take it out of respect for Jack, but Fine said Jack would have wanted him to take it. George then read the script and agreed to take the role. George seemed right at home in the role of an elderly vaudevillian. He embraced the role and had great chemistry with Matthau. When the movie was released, Matthau's performance was praised, but George received critical acclaim. The following year, both men received Academy Award nominations, with George taking home the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. George had not appeared in a movie since 1939, and when he accepted the award, he quipped, I've decided to keep making one picture every 36 years. Getting this award tonight proves one thing. If you stay in the business long enough, you get to be new again. George's words were no lie. After his Academy Award win, he enjoyed a whole new kind of fame. It grew even further when he was cast as God in the movie Oh God, opposite popular singer John Denver. The movie was a massive success and spawned two sequels. And not only that, but George became popular with a younger audience. For the next two decades, George Burns remained popular, making frequent appearances in movies and TV. In 1983, he made it on the list of the top 10 box office stars. Much like Bob Hope, he played the role of the elderly comedian who always stuck around. However, many agreed George played the role much better. I talked about this in the Bob Hope episode, but a common criticism of Hope in his later years was that he was trying too hard to be hip. George didn't. He was able to reinvent himself, but still managed to use his classic persona. He didn't take himself too seriously. He seemed more personable and didn't act like the living legend that he was. Critics and viewers loved him. In fact, several years in advance, he was booked to play Vegas in the London Palladium to celebrate his 100th birthday. Everyone was rooting for him to reach that age. During George's newfound fame, he remained in relatively good health. 
He kept up a daily exercise routine, which consisted of swimming, walks, sit-ups, and push-ups. His frequent visits to Gracie's grave helped as well. He also brought new Cadillacs every year and drove until he was 93 years old. But on July 13, 1994, George was in his bathtub sitting on a stool to dry himself with a towel. He either stood and fell or fell while sitting. He hit his head on one of the bathroom fixtures. George's butler, Daniel Doerr, heard George fall, ran upstairs, and called for an ambulance. George was taken to Cedar sinai where he was given stitches. After that, all seemed fine, and he was discharged on July 22nd. But his speech began to wane, and he went back a couple of months later. Fluid had collected around his brain, and it had to be drained. A hole had to be drilled into his skull, and he suffered a heart attack and minor stroke on the operating table. After these events, George was never the same. He always held out hope that he would recover enough to continue appearances, but his health wouldn't allow it. In October of that year, he made his final film appearance, a cameo in the mystery comedy Radioland Murders. In January 1995, he was forced to cancel an appearance in Las Vegas to celebrate his 99th birthday. The following month, George was presented with the Lifetime Achievement Award at the first Screen Actors Guild Awards by his friend Anne Margaret. It would be his last television appearance. As 1995 went on, George still went to the Hillcrest Country Club, which he had frequented for many years. However, he was down to three cigars a day and drank heavily watered-down martinis, but he was still determined to play his 100th birthday shows, which were scheduled for early 1996. In fact, the Vegas shows were already sold out. But as the year went on, it became very obvious he would be unable to perform. In December of that year, he was well enough to attend a Christmas party at Frank Sinatra's house, but he caught the flu shortly after. The Australian Football League was celebrating its 100th anniversary in 1996, and commercials were planned to celebrate the occasion. George was brought in for one of the commercials. When the commercial was filmed, George delivered the line, A game as old as me? I'd like to see that. However, it was possible that George would not be around by the time the commercial aired, so George was also filmed saying, A game that lasted longer than me? I'd like to see that. George celebrated his 100th birthday on January 20th, 1996. All the shows he had been scheduled to play were canceled. He was in no state to play them. He couldn't even attend a birthday party that was to be held in his honor. Instead, George celebrated quietly with family members, but he released a statement saying that for his birthday, he wanted to spend a night with Sharon Stone. Three days after his birthday, there was a report that he was not eating and unable to take solid foods. There was also talk about whether or not he would be fed intravenously. On March 9, 1996, George awoke feeling very sick. A nurse found him shaking in his bed. A doctor was called, but he said no more could be done. George died without pain and suffering with a smile on his face. His son Ronnie was with him. George's funeral was held three days later at the Wee Kirk of the Heather Church at Forest Lawn Glendale. His butler, Daniel Doerr, said that he was laid out in a dark blue suit, light blue shirt, and red tie. Doerr also added, We put three cigars in his pocket, put on his toupee, put on his watch that Gracie gave him, his ring, and in his pocket, his keys and his wallet, with $1,100 bills, a five, and three ones, so wherever he went to play bridge, he'd have enough money. George was entombed next to Gracie at the Freedom Mausoleum at Forest Lawn. Their epitaph has the words, Together Again. George and Gracie had one of the greatest love affairs in show business, and that's why they are one of the most beloved comedy teams of all time. Thank you all for listening to The Twilight Years. 
Please don't forget to subscribe, and if possible, leave me a review. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. The links are included in the description of this episode. Is there anyone you would like to see talked about on this podcast? Let me know and I'll do my best to get to them. Thanks again for listening. My name is Andrew Laposha, and I will see you next time. Thank you.